Just want to say once again for all of you who came on out and helped over the last week or who have been over the past weeks or those of you that have given towards this home uh, building campaign, thank you so much. We are uh, excited to see what God's doing. And there's going to be another big transformation this coming week. I know we did tape texture. That's a pretty big deal. And the, the biggest deal for me is that means we are on the tail end of the messiest part. At least out here, we can plastic off the back section and not have to mop quite so much because we're going to be mopping up drywall dust for months probably. <clears throat> so just don't look too carefully. But just want to uh, say again this week, it's going to be another big transformation. Lord willing, uh, you're going to come back and this is all going to be painted next week and there's going to be new lights and it'll be another big transformation this week. So uh, thank you for coming on out and for being part of this, for all of you that have given so faithfully um, to the church over the years and those that have served so faithfully. So uh, to get where we're going, I'm just going to tell you a little story because we're diving back into the book of Luke. We're starting a new series See, we've broken the book of Luke. We're actually in about week 42 or 43 of the book of Luke. We've broken it up into about 10-week sections, so it's taken us about a year and a half to get here. We're going to finish that up over the rest of the summer and then move on to new things in August and the fall. And so uh, I'm excited about it. The book of Luke is absolutely amazing. And to get us into what we're talking about, let me just tell you a quick story. Um, I've been married 14 years this May, and we, uh, on our honeymoon, we went to Hawaii, the big island. My cousin had a place there, and so he was over on mainland, and he said, hey, come stay at our place. And so we did, and we fell in love with it. We loved it, but our favorite thing from the trip was this, this one um, night we went down to the National Park, the Volcano National Park. If you've never been there, it's absolutely amazing, otherworldly. It's just so cool. And you drive down this road 20-some miles down. It's called the Chain of Craters Road. And it's just mile upon mile. You look down this long vista of just these rock lava flows that have come all the way down from about 3,000 feet of elevation all the way down to the ocean. It's, it's spectacular. And then at the end of this road is the spot where the lava cut the road off back in uh, the 80s. And so we got there. We drive right down to there. And then we went there on a year where the lava was flowing on the surface. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. Um, but it was flowing on the surface and flowing into the ocean. And so my wife and I heard that. And we're like, we got to see that. And so uh, we weren't at all prepared for this little hike. It was sort of, uh, you know, spur of the moment. Um, didn't have enough flashlights, water, all that, but we were going to go for it. And so we got to the end of the, end of the road, and it was about an hour and a half to two hours of hiking over jagged lava, up and down. And it was kind of creepy because you're looking up on the hill, not the hill, but the mountain on the, on the left side of you, and there's all these glowing orange spots, and you're not sure where it's going to come down or pop out, right? And so we just keep hiking and hiking, and we're exhausted. And if my memory serves me right, we ran out of batteries in our, in our flashlight, and finally some nice guy helped us and gave us some new batteries. But we just kept hiking, and then the closer we got, we knew we were getting close because the ground started getting hot. And it's this weird crunchy feel of this, like you're stepping on broken glass or something. And we kept getting closer, and we come up over this little hill, and we look, and there's a river of lava, probably 20 feet long, hundreds of yards, just flowing all the way down right there in front of us. And it was the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. We got up next to it, and it was just, just like a blast furnace, you know, the heat coming off this thing. And so I've got... 
this cool little video of my wife because she was just jazzed. I mean, she was lit up. She's had a lava obsession since this. You know, 14 years ago, it all started. Uh, so if you're like her Facebook friend, she always is posting lava things because she's obsessed with it. Um, but she said, uh, I have this cool clip. She said, we saw lava. <clears throat> and so and that's my voice. I tease her in. So after that, ever since then, I go, we saw lava. <clears throat> and so if you see her after service, just go up to her and say, we saw lava. And I'll get in trouble later, and that'll be fine. So, but anyway, the good thing is we left before it got dark. And then on the way back, um, it's such a long journey. You know, if you go on a hike, the way in's often fine. The way back gets long, right? And we ran out of batteries and the whole thing. Um, but the cool thing was on this hike, the park service had set up these little beacons on, up on the top of these little lava like outcroppings. And uh, they would just flash, these little LEDs that would flash. And they were about every quarter mile apart. Just, you'd get to one, and you could just barely see the other one in the distance. But at least you knew you were kind of heading in the right direction because it's a little dangerous. They, you get too close to the ocean, they have these deltas that'll slough off, you know. Um, it's it's kind of dangerous. So these markers kept us on the right track, and they got us back to our car safely and allowed us to now, you know, be here 14 years later telling you the cool story about lava. So the markers were great. The markers are great. And, and in life, markers are there. There's markers in life there to help you stay away from danger, right? To help you avoid getting lost. To help you know you're staying in the lane. You're staying where you're supposed to be in life. And just like there's markers in, you know, for your health, you know, when you go to the, the doctor, there's all kinds of different markers. There's lane markers on the side of the road to keep you where you're supposed to go, right? In life, in Scripture, there's markers to let us know that we're walking in the, in the way, in his ways, that we're staying where we need to be when it comes to relationship with him. And so I'm going to start out by talking mainly to followers of Jesus. And if, you know, if you're on the fence or you're just checking out God, Church, and the Bible, we're so excited you're here. Um, we're expanding this place so that we have more room for you. So we'll talk to you in a minute. But for now, I want to talk to those who you consider yourself a, a, a committed follower of Jesus. Because here's the thing. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, we, we often say, I mean, we, we would say, we love Jesus. But if we're really honest, many times we kind of grow numb to the whole thing. We find ourselves just going through the motions. Many times, God is the last thing on our mind on any given day of the week. Many times, our heart just isn't in it. And here, here's the, the, the thing about the book of Luke is over and over as you go through the book of Luke, we see that following Jesus isn't about religious activity. Following Jesus is all about your heart and your heart relationship with him and the way you're responding to him. And you see this over and over again. It's about loving God and loving others, right? And so what we're going to look at today, we're going to see two markers that, that help you determine kind of where you're at when it comes to following God. Where's your heart really at? You know, are you walking in his ways? Is it just lip service? Is it just religious activity, showing up on the weekend, you know, throwing something in the box, whatever? Is it just that? 
Or, or, or do you, are you walking in the love of God in your life? And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 17. And if you're new uh, to the series or new around church, Luke is the third ancient document that we have in the New Testament. It would have been written on a scroll. And so like I said, Luke and Acts, they're actually separated by the book of John, but they're actually two volumes of the same story. And you know, a scroll would have only been so long. And so Luke would, would have written the, his account of the life of Jesus on this scroll. And then on the next scroll, he wrote his account of the early church and the, the message of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus and that there's life and hope in Jesus, the way that exploded out into the world. And that's why um, the series title is called Only the Beginning, because the end of the book of Luke is really only the beginning. And so Luke chapter 17, verse 11 starts this way. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, go, show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. And so just real quick, what's going on here, if you're not familiar with the culture, uh, leprosy a couple thousand years ago was basically a death sentence. And lepers would be shunned by the community. They would have to live in colonies and caves outside of the community. It would bring people together who would never have been together before. We discovered a little bit that this guy's a Samaritan. Uh, they don't usually hang out with Jewish people, but hey, tragedy does that, doesn't it? And so these guys would have been ostracized. If they wanted to come anywhere near groups of people, they would have had to shout out, unclean, unclean, as they came by, just so that everyone could steer clear of them and give them a wide berth. They, they would not have been touched by another human being in, in years. And so that's the situation they're in. But they heard Jesus laid hands on somebody who had leprosy and cured them. And so they, when they heard Jesus is coming by, they said, we've got to get to Jesus. And so they come to Jesus. They're respectful. They still keep, stay a little ways away. And yet they call out to him. And all the time in scripture, Jesus does things in radically different ways. I love it. God's so creative. He created everything. He has, he, have you noticed how in your life, he, he usually does things differently than he did last year? Oftentimes, he moves a little differently in this situation. He has unlimited, infinite creativity when it comes to And Jesus, you know, for, for one guy, he would lay hand on, a, on the leper, which was everybody would be shocked. <gasps> He's touching a leper, right? And heal him on the spot, and it was amazing. One guy, he spits in the mud and rubs mud in his eyes and then tells him to go wash it off, and that's how he gets healed. And so in this situation, Jesus, these guys yell out to Jesus, have pity on us. And from the text, it looks like Jesus just yelled back to them, okay, go show yourself to the priests. And they're looking at themselves going, really? Uh, you know, have you seen my arm? Have you seen my, this finger's kind of flaking off a little bit here, you know? I don't know. Go show yourself to the priests. And it's so cool because in the, in the actual Greek, um, the interlinear version says this. I, I like the way it phrases it. And it came to pass in the going they were cleansed. In the step of obedience, 
they were cleansed. And like we've been talking about over this last series we did the last few weeks, it's about taking that next step of obedience. Like Ray was just talking about, it's about taking that next step of obedience. Whatever God's calling you to, you just take the next step. And, and, and what's amazing in this, I've seen this principle hold true over and over again. It's, the, it's in the going, it's in the obedience that provision comes. It's in the obedience to, to that next, it's in the saying the next yes to when we see God step in and move. It's in the obedience, it's in the next step where we see God provide that thing that's needed. There's this old song that I remember from growing up, I used to sing it in church. It's a, it's a hymn and it's called Trust and Obey. It says, trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And see, it has to go in that order. You trust, and then you obey, and that leads to seeing provision, to see God move in your life. Too many times we hang back on the fence and wait to see God move to take the step of obedience, and it doesn't work that way. There's not faith involved in that. Faith is involved when God says clearly, I want you to go do this. Go show yourself to the priest. Um, okay. And can you just see the scene? They're walking, you know, an hour down the road. They're still looking at them, and we're not clean yet. And so they keep walking. And then one of the guys goes, oh! And they look, and all of a sudden they're clean. Can you just picture that? Imagine that. They're so excited. They can't believe it. They're like, you know, you look at my, they're ripping off the, the veil. Is my face clear? Your nose is back, dude. Look at that. Perfect. I mean, just picture that. It'd be amazing, wouldn't it? But before we move on, just, just note that we experience happiness, joy, and peace on the other side of obedience in life. Relationally, when you do relationships God's way, when you do intimacy God's way, when you say, say no or say not yet to do it God's way, actually, it's so counterintuitive because we think God wants you not to have fun, especially if you're a young person. Listen up, that God somehow is, is anti you having fun or anti pleasure. No, God knows what will bring joy. And, doing, and joy and, and hap, true happiness comes on the other side of obedience, of walking in his ways. The same thing in trust and finances and avoiding consumer debt, right? I mean, some of you, you know, I know you're working hard to get out of debt right now, but it's the same, same thing, isn't it? That when we say no to the trap of trying to keep up with the Joneses, actually, that's where true peace and true happiness is found. And some of you, you'll go, yep, because you did, tried the other way, didn't you? And what you discovered is happiness only lasted until about the shininess wore off on that thing, right? On that new boat or whatever it was. And then you were left with a, a, a pile of debt that you've been trying to work your way out of. And you know there's just there's stress there. And others would say, yep, there's peace in saying no. There's peace in saying yes to what God is saying. Obedience, happiness, and joy is on the other side of obedience because God created you and he loves you and he's very interested in your joy. And so verse 15, and this is where the story gets interesting 
even more interesting because one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. He was a Samaritan. Verse 17, Jesus asked, were not all 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Samaritans, for those that might not be familiar with this, Samaritans were a despised class of people. They were despised in the culture by Jewish people. You just didn't hang out. That's why it's so odd that this guy's hanging out. But like I said, tragedy brings people together, right? And so Jesus does this a couple times in the Gospels is he really pushes the buttons of the religious leaders and anyone, you know, good Jewish boys and girls, because he makes the Samaritan in the parable of the Good Samaritan, he makes the, the Samaritan, and you've all heard the phrase, Good Samaritan, right? The hero of the story. And everyone would just go, no, that doesn't even work. And here, this in real time, we're seeing the Samaritan is the hero of the story. And so there's this kind of bigger theme that Luke carries all the way throughout Luke, the book of Luke, and that's the theme of Jesus' Jesus' own people in here, the ones that should have got it the most, the religious leaders, his own people, miss it, miss it. And like I said, the book of Luke, kind of towards the end, it's like a tragedy that then in Acts leads to this beautiful thing that now every nation is included Every nation is invited in. So um, that's the big meta theme. But here, here, here's the thing not to miss in this. The other guys, what happened to them? Where'd they go? I'm sure they went straight to the priests, right? Whoo, they got signed off, checked off on. They, you know, the magnifying glass came out. They looked them over. You guys are clean. And then they're just, back, they're like, whew, back to life, right? They're, they're going to their families' houses. They're, they're getting back to it. They're just, they're just ready to get on with life. And they don't even pause and come back and say, thank you. And yet this Samaritan, the one that, you know, you wouldn't expect to get it. He has this recognition that this thing happened, but it's not really about just the thing, the fact that we were healed. The th- I was in the presence of God. God moved in this situation. And so it, it says he came back and expressed his thankfulness. He thanked Jesus, and he worshiped God. He gave praise to God. And this is such a big point. You know, did the other guys feel thankful for what God had done? I'm sure they did, but we don't have any record that they expressed their thankfulness. And and this is something so true. If you want to know one of the biggest markers for where your heart is really at, how's your gratitude level? How's your gratitude level? How, how are you doing when it comes to being thankful, expressing thankfulness to God? How are you doing with that? It's one of the biggest markers. Thankfulness, gratefulness has to be expressed. We talked about this a while ago around Thanksgiving, that you have to express gratefulness unexpressed gratefulness, whether you intend to communicate it or not, even if you feel gratefulness in your heart, when you don't express thankfulness and gratefulness, the thing isn't complete. And unexpressed gratefulness comes across as entitlement. 
that if you don't express the thankfulness and the gratefulness in your heart, and this is true of thankfulness towards God, this is true of gratefulness towards those in your life that have done so much for you, if you don't express it, it just comes across as entitlement. When you are grateful, truly grateful, it naturally flows into worship. You see how this guy came back, he thanked Jesus, and he praised God. He worshiped God. In fact, Jesus says this, your faith has made you well. And this little word, well, there, it's not just, you know, you went to the doctor, you took your antibiotics, and, you know, you're over the infection. Now, that's not the connotation. It comes from the root of a word uh, called sozo, and it literally means to deliver out of danger into safety. It's, it's, it's used principally of God rescuing believers from the penalty and the power of sin and into his provision or into his safety. It's, it's the root of where we get the word savior, that Jesus will come, right? The angel announced, he will save you from your sins. In, in life, we fixate on just so often on just the material thing, don't we? When, when we're praying for something, we want an outcome. All 10 of these guys were healed physically, right? They were all cleansed physically. But something changed in this guy's heart. And this is what Jesus is recognizing here, that you came back and it led to gratefulness and thankfulness that led to worship. You recognized who I am and and it led to worship. And so Jesus is literally saying, your faith has saved you. It's made you well, it's made you whole. Your faith has brought you in to relationship. That there's a bigger thing going on than just the thing, the surface thing. And that's something to keep in mind so often in life. As you seek God, there's a bigger thing going on than just the thing. And God is more interested on what is going on within you and in your heart than he is at just accomplishing something for you. He's interested in relationship with you and you recognizing and trusting in who he is and expressing that in worship to him. Gratefulness is such a huge, huge marker. And the thing is, Christians, if you're a follower of Jesus, we should be more grateful than anyone else in this world. And that gratefulness leads to worship. Grateful, true gratefulness to God always leads to worship. And I'm not talking about just singing, you know, raising your hands, feeling emotions, goosebumps, worshiping, praising God that way. That's great. That's a, that's a great component of, of worship. But worship is a lifestyle. Worship is about living your life as an offering to God. It's about praising God in your It's a heart lifestyle. Now, some of you singing isn't your big thing. But you just, some of you, you pray and you, you read scripture and your heart just lights up with the goodness of God and you express praise to God. Or, you, or you're on a hike or on a walk and you see the beauty of creation and your heart just rises up in praise and worship to God. That's all part of that, right? You say, thank you, God. Or you look at your, your baby or your baby grandchild and something in you just rises up of praise and worship to God and you say, thank you, God. And it all comes back to him. Gratefulness in your life leads to worship. That's why it's one of the biggest markers that you can say, where's my heart really at in this season? Am I just kind of going through the motions? Yeah, yeah, I believe in God, but 
How's your gratefulness level? Is it bringing you into worshiping him? Or do you find a, a spirit of entitlement that you're so caught up in the petty details of life that there's just no gratefulness that's coming out of your heart? Where do you find yourself? Where do you find yourself? It's easy to grow numb to the fact of the gospel that we've been saved, that God has saved us, that he's called us his own, that we were enemies of God, we're told. He invited us into his family. He adopted us. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, you're not just forgiven. You're welcomed in. You're loved. And yet so often we just grow numb to that, don't we? We don't even say thank you. It just doesn't do anything for us. It's a real time to do a heart check, isn't it? All right, moving on to verse 20. And these all tie together as we go through these. It says this in verse 20. Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say here it is or there it is because the kingdom of God, (coughs) excuse me, is in your midst. And, And really the kingdom of God, this whole concept of the kingdom of God is a huge concept that goes all the way throughout the scriptures. Starting in Eden, when, when things were right, when there was, an, in Hebrew, a concept of shalom, where things were just put in right place, and, and the, God's relationship with humanity was as it was intended to be. And then we know that's broken at the fall. And then God launches the plan of redemption and the promise all the way along is to restore that shalom. Restore that, that, that the kingdom, the idea, the kingdom would come. And then Israel tries to, to make it happen by getting themselves their own king as they look around. Because God, you know, as God forms the nation of Israel, calls Abraham, brings them through Egypt, forms the nation of Israel. He says, I, I'm your king. I'm going to be your king. And it'll go a lot better for you if you can learn to follow me and not have to have a king over you. But they say, no, we want a king. And that goes pretty poorly pretty quickly. And after David and after Solomon, the kingdom splits. And before you know it, the the people of Israel are are hauled in to exile. And they're just dominated by one force after another, after another. And they're thinking earthly kingdom. They're thinking, you know, big signs, earthly kingdom that's going to come. And and a lot of that's because there's these, all these prophecies of all the things that God would do. And then about 160 years before Jesus, there's, there's a war between uh, Syrian Greeks and Israel who, you know, they were holding Israel under their thumb and God raised up this guy named Judas Maccabeus. His nickname was the Hammer. So that would feel pretty cool, you know. He was a priest. I don't have a cool nickname like that, you know. <laughs> <clears throat> nor do I deserve one, but, you know, the hammer. So anyway, he was, a, he was a, sounds like a pretty manly man. And he led this amazing victory, this miraculous thing God did, uh, which resulted in the, the festival of Hanukkah, which Jesus would have celebrated about 160 years later. When, and God delivered him. And for a short period of time, they thought, well, this is it. The kingdom is going to come physically here and now. We're, we're back in control of our own country. 
And then before you know it, before too long, 60 BC, this guy named Pompey comes through and they're back under the thumb of another empire. And yet the promise is, the kingdom is supposed to come. And so, so when they ask, they're expecting the kingdom to come now in a visible way to be accompanied by all these you know, signs in the, in the skies and, and to come in this radical way. And Jesus goes, because you're looking for that, you're completely missing that in the person of Jesus, the kingdom is breaking in right here and right now in your midst. And it's within your grasp. It's among you. Literally, to understand this phrase in the Greek, the uh, Greek, Greek scholar N.T. Wright says this, the phrase is more active. It doesn't just tell you where the kingdom is at. It tells you that you've got to do something about it, that it's within your grasp. It is confronting you with the decision, the decision to believe, trust, and follow Jesus. God's sovereign plan to put the world to rights is waiting for you to sign on. He says, that's the force of what this phrase really means. It says the kingdom is in your midst. And so when Jesus says, seek first the kingdom, he's saying, will you embrace this? Will you live into this with everything you've got? Will you make your life about this? And he looks at these guys and goes, no, you don't get it. You're missing the very activity of God because you're so caught up. And then he goes on in these next verses, and we're going to move through this really quickly. But he's going to tell his disciples some things about times that are coming up and and end times. And we're going to look at this a little more in depth when we get into chapter 21 next month. But for now, we're going to move quickly. It says this, then he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. People will tell you, there he is, or here he is. Do not go running after them, for the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. He says, okay, something's going to happen that you would never see coming. And they didn't get it until after the resurrection. He says, you're going to long to see one of the days I'm here with you now, and you're going to long to see the days when I will come again. You're going to long to see the time when I'm here physically with you. And you're not going to see it. There'll be this time in between. And this is where we live. We place where if you're a follower of Jesus, I hope you long to see Jesus, to walk with Jesus, to be face to face with Jesus. And yet the beauty of what he says is we have the power. We have literally his presence with us, indwelling us in his Holy Spirit during this time, which gives us the strength to go through anything that we have to go through. Verse 26, just as it was in the days of Noah, so also it will be in the days of the Son of Man. See if this sounds anything like, like uh, what's going on in our world today. People were eating, drinking, marrying, being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. See, here's the thing. Life is busy. Life is distracting. Life has lots of problems. And we get so fixated on this stuff that before you know it, you're just not living for the kingdom. 
You're not seeking him first. These markers of, of gratefulness and prayer that we're going to see in just a second aren't even part of your life. It's a time to, to, to pause and go, am I getting so caught up? In fact, this passage is a close parallel to Matthew chapter 24. And in Matthew 24, it says this, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. There's just life is so crazy and there's so much temptation. He says, the love of most will grow cold. When Jesus is speaking to churches in Revelation, one of the things he says is, you've lost your first love. You've lost your first love. Verse 31, on that day, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife, who looked back longing for the old thing, right? Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. But it's really about him. And the only life that is truly life is living for him. It's living for his kingdom. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord, they asked. He replied, where there is a dead body, there are the vultures will gather. And we'll go over this a little more when we get to chapter 21. It'll be fun, you know, vultures, eagles, Roman standards, interesting, interesting stuff, okay? We'll get into some of that stuff a little bit later. But Jesus is really saying, there's going to be some heavy things coming. And so this next little section, I know there's a chapter break, but it ties into that. And Jesus told the disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Why should they always pray and not give up? Because they're going to long to see Jesus. They're going to face persecution. He's told them that during this time in between. You and I are going to have trials we have it pretty easy in this nation, and yet you're going to face things in your life that are hard. And he says you should pray and always and, and never give up. Always pray and never give up. And this is one of the big markers, guys, of where your heart's at. Is how, how are you doing with, with praying on a consistent basis? Not just before a meal. That's good. But how are you doing about bringing the burdens of your heart before God and not just praying for your own needs right here and now? How are you doing about praying that God would move in and through you, that God would use your life to reach others? He goes on in verse two. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused but finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Some of you feel like this with your kids, right? Dad, 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 when are you going to do this? Dad, dad, right? This lady's intense. She wants to see this judge, even though he doesn't care about anything. She wants to see Justice. Now, Jesus, the point of this parable is, is this. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God, so 
contrast. This is the point. There's a huge contrast. If someone who even doesn't care about anything is going to say, okay, he says, well, not God. Your heavenly father who cares about you, who knows the number of hairs on your head, that God. Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. Keep praying because God will move. He will come through. He will bring justice. And I know some of you are going through horrible things in your lives that you didn't cause. It wasn't your fault. You're just dealing with it. He will vindicate you. Now, we don't always see that on this side. Sometimes we do, and it's dramatic and it's amazing. But sometimes we don't, right? But the promise is he will. He will. And so you just keep pressing in. You keep seeking him. Any sacrifice for following Jesus is worth it. But then this little caution at the end, Jesus says, however, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? Here on earth, will he find faith on earth? When he comes back, will he find a strong faith in Jesus in our hearts? Or is life just so busy, so complicated, so disappointing, so distracting that he's not even on our radar? If he were to come back today, would he find faith in your heart? Would he find a vibrant love for him in your heart? I hope so. And I hope that's true in my heart and life on a daily basis. And here's just a quick takeaway for you. These are two big markers. And I just want you to ask yourself where you're at with these things. Grateful worship and faithful prayer are markers of a heart that loves God. How's your thankfulness level? How's your gratefulness level? Have you been finding yourself just feeling entitled? Like, why isn't God doing this for me? I'm just angry, upset, just frustrated. Or are you living literally, like Paul says, give thanks in everything? Is there gratefulness overflowing out of your heart, overflowing into worship in your life? How's your prayer level? Are you praying? Are you coming before God? Are you lifting up your cares and burdens? Are you asking him, how do you want to use my life today? That's a marker of a heart that loves God, of of a heart that has true affection for God. And, And here's the thing, as we close, and you can stand When it comes to affection and love in our hearts for God, you can't just conjure it up, right? You don't just like grit your teeth. But let me say, this is true um, in marriage too. One of of the good, uh, some great advice for marriages is, is if you don't feel in love, start doing loving things. And oftentimes your emotion follows your action. And the same is true in your love for God. Jesus said, if you love me, you will do what I commanded. And sometimes you just need to set your feet and walk towards him and say, you know what? God, thank you. Man, I'm not feeling it right now. My heart feels pretty numb. But thank you for salvation. 
Thank you that I am saved, that I get to spend eternity with you. Thank you that you love me enough that you sent your son to die for me. Thank you. And let that begin to build and overflow into worship. Just start praying. Father, I don't feel it right now, but Lord, would you use me today somehow? Would you let me be attentive to your Holy Spirit? When you tap on my shoulder, would you let me say the next yes to you? And I think if you do that, you'll find your heart following pretty quickly. And it'll stir your affection for him and love for him in your heart. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for my friends. Lord, I just ask for each of us here that you would stir our heart and our gratefulness and our love and our affection and our worship for you. And Lord, for any in the room that have not turned and put their faith and trust in you, would you let them do that this morning? Let them call out to you. Father, just pray your blessing this week. Thank you so much for the things you've entrusted us with. May we be a grateful people who lives for your kingdom and seeks you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.